You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. I bet you'd stick your head in fire if I told you you could see hell. Meanwhile, you're too stupid to realize you got a demon sticking out your ass singing, Holy Miss Moly! Welcome to Nine Cents. <laughs> Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is October. <laughs> I've got to make sure the date, because last week I was off a bit. It is, in fact, October 14th, the day I'm supposed to be recording this. Amazing, right? I actually do have it together from time to time. And I have a great show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to bring you Anton LaVey's article from Satan Speaks, The Common Good. And I'm going to relate it to uh, one or two things going on right now. An infernal informant, Haryana raped repeatedly for three months, 13-year-old asked to leave school and worse. And Hezbollah admits launching drone over Israel. And the creature feature, we're going to be talking a little bit with Hydra M. Star, and I'm going to give you a reading out of her compilation, No One Makes It Out Alive. It's available right now on Lulu.com. You should all go check it out. And, you know what? I'm going to try to give you that bizarre the bizarre I was going to give you last week, even if we run over, and we are most certainly going to run over. So this is going to be a long episode. So strap yourselves in. It's going to be a good one. Before we dive right into the content, however, let's talk a little bit about the Greater Magic episode. It is coming! It's like two weeks away! It's not next week, but it's the week after. Now, I sat down with the High Priestess of the Church of Satan, Magistra Peggy Nadrania, and I sat down with Citizen Nanaya Sama. At the same time, the moon was full in the sky, wind was buffeting, the house. It was an amazing night. And we talked in depth about your questions on greater magic, theory, and practice. How these very powerful satanic witches ritualize themselves. Maybe a few hints of tips. And a lot of fun. You're going to get to know these two wonderful women uh, pretty well. And you're going to get a little dose of me, as if you haven't had enough of that. <laughs> two weeks, people right before Halloween, so you can get yourself just wrapped up tight in the darkness of Halloween with greater magic. Look forward to it. And Satanists on Satanic Cinema, it is coming very soon, very, very soon. I'm on vacation this week. I was supposed to go down and see a friend. Can't do that, so instead I'm going to spend it devoted to updating the website, updating the promos, and refining the actual episodes and getting them out there to you. So I'm going to do my damnedest before you hear me again next week to have one episode out there for you to pick up. Satanists on SatanicCinema.com or check out 9CentsPresents.com and I'll have a link there. Or you can just go to 9CentsPodcast.com. Yeah, that's a lot of 9 cents. I know. It's a brand. Okay, and for those of you who subscribe via iTunes, you noticed last week when I released the episode, your RSS feed wasn't updating. 
Well, I had a little bit of an issue. I had redirected because I, I hosted this on my own personal website. And I had the, the the URL sort of directed through there to get to the RSS feed. Well, I tried to correct that by doing this redirect. And what it did was break the feed. So that's why it wasn't updating. It took me a long time to figure it out because apparently I'm retarded. But I did figure it out and I corrected it. So you should be getting this RSS feed on time. And I'm probably actually going to release it tonight rather than tomorrow because I have a lot of things going on during this week that I'd rather be focusing on than releasing this episode, you know, the first thing in the morning. So look for this episode tonight and the RSS feed to be working uh, into the future, I hope. <laughs> okay, so, and also, you know, during the week, I keep my eyes open for news headlines on uh, news.google.com because they sort of reach out to all over the web and just collect, you know, every everyone's... Uh, most uh, highlighted news items, news headlines. And it's a way for me to get everyone's uh, news rather than just, say, you know, CNN or just the BBC. So I like to I like to get it from a lot of different outlets because they have a lot of different perspectives. And it's easier for me to determine what the third side perspective is of an argument if I can see the right and left sides. I like to be able to sort of step outside of those, you know, very opinionated posts. And that allows me to do it. So anyway, uh, what I'm saying is I, I keep my eyes open throughout the week for articles that I might think that you would enjoy hearing or that I would enjoy talking about. And I came across one that initially I really wanted to bring you. Uh, it was about this mother who was sentenced to 99 years in prison for beating her two-year-old daughter. And I was reading the article, and I was at work at the time, and I like just started choking up. Like, I, I couldn't handle just thinking about talking about this. And so I told myself that, you know what, I can't talk about this at all. Um, it, it just brought up a little bit too much personal stuff. I mean, I have a, a daughter. She is three, not two, but I couldn't imagine... I just couldn't imagine ever beating her. I mean, any child that young for any reason. So I collected myself. I, you know, I'm a grown ass man, but I have to admit there are things that hit my emotional cords and I react to. And and this one was one of them. It really, really bothered me that I, I told myself I couldn't talk about it on the show because I might react as if I'm trying to hide, you know, uh, my emotional responses to you, the audience, which is, is sort of absurd because in the past I have had no problem with it. And so I went back and I read the article and it was actually a little bit easier the second time because I distanced myself. I, you know, I sort of went in knowing what to expect, but this woman super glued her two-year-old daughter's hands to the wall because she peed the bed. And so she was trying to teach her a lesson or make it so she couldn't run away. The mother beat her with a milk jug and kicked her while she was glued to the fucking wall. And all she got was 99 years in prison. And there was actually family that wanted to reunite this mother with her child. 
thinking that somehow the second time around she would learn from her mistakes. If you are such an incompetent parent that you think a rational reaction to a child peeing the bed is to super glue them to the fucking wall and kick a two-year-old kid, you don't deserve to be reunited with that kid. And you certainly don't deserve 99 years in prison. You deserve to be shot in the face! Uh, and this is why I didn't want to start talking about this. <laughs> it is infuriating that we have a system of government that allows monsters like this to live in prison. That we, collectively as the society have to pay for their livelihood, their well-being, their safety, and their security in prison. Now, have no doubt that she will suffer in prison to some extent. But that's not enough for me. I want more. I want her to suffer for having forced her child to go through what it did. Alright, well, I guess in my effort not to talk about it, I did end up talking about it. But, is there ever going to be a time in our history, (laughs) in our cultured society, where we realize that having the rest of society pay for a monster to exist is not justice? And it's it's not like she's going to learn her lesson and become a better person. I'm sure she's going to regret what she did. Absolutely. But she's still out there to to be able to do it again. Now, yeah, she'll probably live the rest of her short life in prison. But why can't we just end it? Because you're now making us pay for it. And that's making us suffer for it. And that's not good enough. She, she really needs to pay. And if her family is too short-sighted or too connected to see it, so be it. But that was a two-year-old. Have you ever seen a two-year-old? There is absolutely no possible way that she can articulate suffering. There is absolutely no possible way that she can understand that being kicked in the ribs by her mom and her hands super glued to the wall is somehow a lesson to be learned. And if you're a grown-ass adult and think that that somehow will reach out to the children... You know nothing about children, and you certainly don't know anything about being a grown-ass adult. And I'm going to talk about this in an article that I'm going to bring you later on about that that poor young girl that was raped. But (laughs) this is what you get from Islamic Judeo-Christianity. This is exactly what you get. Because all she has to do is bend a knee and she is forgiven by her God. Our society is structured on this this premise of, well, you're going to have to pay for it some way. I mean, you didn't kill your kids, so let's just throw you in a cell and pay for your well-being until you die. Or until we decide that you're better and you can be let out. 
Meanwhile, your conscience can be clear and your savior can forgive you. I don't fucking think so. I don't think that is... That is not the message that we should be sending society. Monsters like this, child abusers, need to... They need to be dealt with. Lex Talionis. Superglue that woman's hands to the wall and kick her until she understands what it was like for a two-year-old to suffer at the hands of someone stronger and bigger than them. And if she can't, that's fine. Because you're still going to end it the same way with a 10-cent solution. Firing squad. End of story. That way we all don't have to continue to pay for this monster to exist so that some people in the society can have a good-feeling conscience. When they're not the ones that made this woman do it. So why should you even have a guilty conscience for getting rid of monsters? And we get blamed for shit like this. That's... That's the fuck... That is the worst part about this entire thing. Talk about... Talk about reflecting your own... Monstrous behavior on other people. Christians. Blaming child molestations on Satanists. How disgusting can you be? Well, I guarantee... (laughs) That... If, if we lived in a satanic society, actions like these, they may still occur because you have monsters in any society. But it would be dealt with promptly and appropriately. And maybe the next time a parent thinks that maybe I should super glue my kid's hands to a wall and kick her and beat her until she stops peeing the bed, maybe she'll think twice about it because the last one got shot in the face. Why aren't we protecting our society? Instead of protecting the criminals in it. Alright, I didn't mean to go off that much, or that long, or whatever. But let's go ahead and dive into the Devil's Advocate. Let me see if I can collect myself there. Why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. No, what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Alright, welcome to Devil's Advocate. We are talking about Satan Speaks. The article is The Common Good, written by Anton Zander-Levay. 
I'm going to give you actually a little bit more than the first paragraph, and then we'll sort of talk about it. He takes it in a direction I'm going to, I'm going to sort of veer away from and, and talk about something else entirely. <laughs> but it's, trust me, it still relates. All right, so the common good. Nothing is done in the interest of welfare for the common good where there is money to be had. If charity begins in the home, someone is going to create a state by which each home is a cell to be employed for the collective benefit of astute vested interests. For example, there are no more quarantine laws for immigrants to the United States. Routes of contagion exist primarily through human contact. No winds need bear them any longer. Airline travel has done the job well. Intercontinental flights have provided a means for viral contagion, unconfined to the plague sites of antiquity. Where immigrants once arrived penniless, and in the steerage of ships, travelers of all purpose now arrive with slim cards of plastic and clothes that travel well, albeit as containers for diseased bodies. So in this particular article, Anton LaVey gives the example of airlines and economy flights, and they're doing it for the common good, but there is a severe repercussion for that because of uh, everyone jamming into a plane and, and having the opportunity of virus or disease to spread. And is that ultimately in the common good? I mean, they have these deals so that they can have more business, certainly especially around the holidays, but then they open up th this other door that has very severe consequences, and that is um, virus and disease and the spreading of it. I mean, they take the time to check your bags and make sure you don't have over, what is it, like two ounces of liquid on your person and uh, make sure you don't have guns and knives and a bomb and stuff like that, but they don't really care if you have a severe virus so much. So that's what he's speaking to in this, and the idea, the absurdity that, you know, the idea that it's for the common good. Now, the illusion of doing business for the common good certainly serves business well. But if at any point they stopped doing business for the common good, or having deals for the common good, their businesses would probably collapse on themselves. I'm in advertising, so I know that speaking to a consumer in a way the consumer uh, desires is incredibly important. And that's really all this crazy idea of the common good is. It's a manufactured concept. And we've all, we've all really, uh, uh, really dove into it head first without really thinking about it. And it's important when you're thinking of concepts like the common good to really take a step back and sort of use that third perspective that we're all so used to. It's not always good. <laughs> really, it's not. So let's talk about the common good with uh, medical care because, you know, it's apropos. Our, we're, we're, everyone in the election cycle is talking about the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare and how how, much, how close it is to socialism and how bad it is. And I've actually spoken to this in the past before uh, in some of the um, uh, Infernal Informant segment uh, articles. And I'm only going to touch on it briefly as it relates to this article. So the way we have our medical system now in America, we're, we're really in the bottom rung of, of life expectancy compared to other countries. Um, we're in the bottom rung of... Um, well, actually, we're in the top rung <laughs> of cost. And that's because it's 
It's business. Insurance companies care about a bottom line. They're corporations. And there's nothing wrong with being a corporation or, or, or being a part of a corporation or having stock in corporation and making money. That's what you do as a corporation. But when we as a society are at the mercy of that corporation, well, like I told you last week in the Infernal Informant, you can have generic drugs that have no connection to the drug they're claiming to be the generic version for and actually have side effects that are, are very counter and very actually horrible for your for your body that's because it's a corporation try to make a profit it, it has no idea and no concern about the common good but their business is based around the concept of the common good we're researching these drugs and providing them to everyone for the common good but here's the Long list of side effects. Not very good. So, as it relates to the healthcare system, and, and people always saying that, well, we have to take care of our brother. Well, we're, we're doing that right now. It's called the emergency room. We're taking care of anyone. Transients. Low-income family members. Just anyone who walks in off the street. No matter where you are. You can't be refused by the emergency system. So... You go into the emergency room, you get your care, and whether you can pay for it or not, they give you the same care as someone who can pay for it. That is closer to socialism than anything the Affordable Care Act is doing. It's for the common good. But it costs the rest of us because our premiums skyrocket. The cost of health care skyrockets. And so we take on that financial burden that the hospitals are accepting temporarily through insurance. That's the common good we have now. So the common good that we're going to be going to may in the long run not be any better, but we don't know because we haven't tried it yet, but it's forcing personal responsibility. The common good. And given two opposites, okay? Given two positions. One, the public picks up the tab no matter what. Or two... You must accept personal responsibility. Given those two options, I, obviously I'm a Satanist, so I will, I choose the personal responsibility. That means that I have to pay for my own health care, and I'm not going to expect every one of you listening to this and everyone not listening to it to pick up the tab for me. Now, if I can't pay for that health care, well, they're going to deduct my taxes. It's logical, right? You have to pay for it somehow. You're a part of a society. You're reaping benefits from that society. Why wouldn't you pay for it? In some way or another. And people are freaking out. And anytime you move from a free system to a pay system, people will freak out because they feel like they're getting cut somewhere. They're getting shorthanded. But this common good argument cannot be used in our current system because it's not a common good. It's a common bad. We are our own cause of healthcare costs rising because we have a system that is flawed. So when we move to something a little bit better, well, maybe personal responsibility can win out and uh, the healthcare costs may go down. It's, It's a chance I'm willing to take. And if it doesn't work, well, then we can always switch back. Uh, that's what happens in life. You live and learn. So the common good in our current healthcare, it's not there. The illusion of it is, as with any corporation, and Anton LaVey was writing about this a long time ago. 
much longer than this issue uh, was really in our political scene. So a little foresight. I like that. Uh, that's going to do it for this uh, Devil's Advocate. Let's go ahead and jump into the Infernal Informant. Our first article today is from IBN Live India. Haryana, raped repeatedly for three months, 13-year-old asked to leave school. This was updated the 14th. New Delhi. Another shocker from Haryana, where a 13-year-old girl was allegedly raped by a food vendor outside of her school for over three months. Now the school authorities have responded to the incident by throwing out the minor and her siblings from school. They literally kicked the kids out. This is the 16th rape reported from the state in one month. 16 in one month of kids. What the hell is happening in India? The 62-year-old accused, who runs a food cart outside victim's school in Fatahabad, allegedly lured the victim with food and repeatedly raped her over three months. The incident came to light on Saturday when the victim complained to her father. The teenager, a student of class six in a government school, was made to undergo a medical examination and it confirmed rape, following which a case was filed and the suspect was arrested. Shockingly, the victim and her two sisters have been asked to leave the school. The decision was taken by the school's principal and village Penshot. Ironically, the state government on Friday announced several steps to tackle the crime against women, including a round-the-clock helpline and increased patrolling by the police in rural areas. On Saturday, the special woman helpline number 81466-93100 was installed in police control room Panchkula. Haryana's state of shame. The Jind gang rape. A teenage Dalit girl in Jind died after she set herself on fire on the night of October 7th after she was allegedly gang raped. The four accused have been arrested. She was rushed rushed to the civil hospital in Jind district and was later referred to PGIMS, a Rotok in serious condition. The girl breathed her last on Saturday evening in the Rotok hospital. Reports said the 16-year-old girl was forcibly taken to the house of one of the suspects where the crime occurred. Earlier on Saturday, the victim in her statement to the police said that one of her neighbors, Pradeep, allegedly dragged her into his house while the sister-in-law of the accused kept guard standing on the terrace of the house so that nobody could come inside. Pradeep and another young Naveen raped the teenager. The Biwani Rape A minor girl was reportedly raped in Biwana, Ariana. Around the beginning of this month, the Director General of Police canceled the leaves of all police personnel for the month of October after the incident was reported. Sources said that a special drive was also initiated to identify lumpen elements. Unemployed youth, vagabonds, and criminals in each village of the state and prepare reports and lists and take action against them. The Sonopat Gang Rape A Class 11 student was gang-raped in Gohana near Sonopat in Haryana 
by four men on September 27th. Three accused were arrested and a case was registered, according to the police. The girl was raped in a busy market area on Thursday afternoon, but her fam family filed the complaint only on Friday. The Jind gang rape. In the same week, a woman in Jind was raped by three men. The accused barged into the woman's house looking for her husband, and when they did not find him, they brutally raped her. The victim was from a backward caste. Her daughter stood outside the house screaming in fright. The victim said that the men made a video of the whole gruesome act and threatened to make it public if she reported the matter to the police. The Hisar Gang Rape a 16-year-old Dalit girl was allegedly gang-raped by eight upper-caste men on September 9th in the Dabri area of Histar. The case came to light only ten days later, on September 19th, after the distraught minor broke down in front of her parents and narrated the incident. To make matters worse, when the girl's father approached the police for help, they reportedly refused to file an FIR. The helpless father committed suicide the next day. The police arrested one of the accused after the residents of the area refused to cremate the body of the victim's father until arrests were made. The accused reportedly made an MMS clip of the incident and circulated it. The girl's uncle told reporters, The girl was scared and did not report the incident to her family. The accused had threatened to kill her if she approached the police, but when the MMS clip was circulated in the entire village and the people came to know, her father decided to report the matter to the police. However, I did not know what happened. He took the extreme step the next day. Here is how a Cap Pachyat member thinks rapes can be dealt with. And it's a video clip. And in it, the guy says, Well, if the women were married off at age 16, these rapes wouldn't have happened. Men wouldn't have to control themselves or rape children if they would just marry the children. What? What a disgusting part of the world. Your solution to gang rape of children is to marry them off as if somehow that would solve the rape issue? <laughs> it's funny because we apply our our cultural norms to the rest of the world when looking at him. So when this gentleman says 16-year-old women should be married off to protect them from rape, though that argument makes little to no sense because there were some married women I just referenced in that list that were raped, but let's say that it does make sense, for argument's sake. By marrying off children at 16, we think of that in our American society or our Western society as being much too young. But there's actually some precedent for younger girls in many religious organizations uh, being married off very much younger than that. So 16 for us is like, oh, how could you possibly do it? 18, yes. 16, no. So that as a sliding scale, okay. I'm not going to freak out over that part. But the idea that it's the girl's fault for not being married that that's why she's being raped, and that the guys don't have to have... These disgusting men who are raping children don't have to take personal responsibility? That's, that's insane! That is absolutely an insane notion that should transcend culture, though it does not. India. 
India, India. What the hell are you doing? You are one of the oldest cultures on our planet. And one of the most disgusting because of this. And what is wrong when... Okay, first of all, I don't, I don't want to put myself in these shoes, but I'm going to do it for argument's sake. So the worst case scenario, and I have to go report it to the police. And the police say that they will not look into it and they will not file a report. Why would I kill myself? Why would this father kill himself? Because if, if the law will not do their job, it is an incumbent upon you to do that job for them. Vigilante justice. Do what you have to do to make sure that this doesn't happen to your child again or it doesn't happen to another child. These are children, and if we don't protect them, no one will. If you live in a society that says it's okay to rape children, you need to get the hell out of that society or change that society because it's not okay. I mean, this affects the health of the individual. This affects the health of the culture that you're in. Why would you be okay with this? Why would anyone? It's disgusting. All right. Well, I freaked out enough at the beginning, so I'm not going to freak out here. Uh, let's go ahead and go to the next article. And this is actually from BBC News Middle East. Hezbollah admits launching drone over Israel. Oh, God, here we go again. And this was actually posted on the 11th. The drone was destroyed over a largely uninhabited area in the north of the Negev Desert. The leader of Lebanese Shia militant movement Hezbollah has said that his group was behind the launch of a drone shot down over Israel last week. Sheikh Hassan Nasrallah told the movement's Al-Manar television network that the drone was made in Iran and had flown over sensitive sites in Israel. Israel fighter planes shot down the drone north of Negev Desert after it entered from the Mediterranean. Israel's Prime Minister has again vowed to defend the country's borders. Uh, Sheikh Nasrallah said the drone was assembled in Lebanon, but made in Iran, a rare reference to his organization's military support from Tehran, the BBC's John Lane in Cairo says. Aerial capacity. Sheikh Nasrallah said a sophisticated reconnaissance aircraft was sent from Lebanese territory and traveled hundreds of kilometers over the seas before crossing enemy lines and into occupied Palestine. Correspondents said Sikh and Azrala's mention of sensitive Israeli sites is an apparent reference to Israel's Dimona nuclear reactor. Possession of such an aerial capacity is a first in the history of the resistance movement in Lebanon and the region, he said. Referring to a drone sent by Hezbollah during its 2006 war against Israel, he added, It's not the first time, and it will not be the last. We can reach all the zones of Israel. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, speaking directly, I'm sorry, during a visit to the frontier with Egypt, said Israel was acting with determination to protect our borders. As we prevented last week an attempt by Hezbollah, we shall continue to act aggressively against all threats, he said. It was his first public statement blaming Hezbollah for the incident. The drone, which did not carry any explosives, was destroyed over a largely uninhabited area. It flew some 35 miles, 55 kilometers, inland before being shot down. 
On at least three occasions, unmanned aircraft operated by Hezbollah have been detected over Israeli territory. Although Israeli officials have not given details of where they think the drone came from, Israel's media have published maps indicating it was launched near the southern Lebanese port city of Sudan. It claimed, or it is claimed, that the aircraft flew out to sea, then south, and then appeared over southern Israel from the direction of the Mediterranean. The Israeli military said the aircraft had been detected by ground-based defense systems. Israeli jets flew alongside it before shooting it down. The drone incident came amid growing hints by Israel that it may launch a military strike against Iran, Hezbollah's close ally, if Tehran continues with its controversial nuclear program. In another development on Thursday, Mr. Netanyahu's office announced the date of the general election as 22 January. The vote was brought forward by nine months after the Prime Minister failed to agree an annual budget with his coalition partners. His right-wing coalition government has been in power since 2009. Okay, so this is just the spark Israel needs. Just the excuse Israel needs to attack Iran. They want to do it so bad, and they know, they know that America will back their play. Oh, America. I I actually don't have a problem with Iran going through a revolution. Having Tehran exit the stage, as it were. I'm okay with that. I encourage that. Anytime you get religious doctrine control out of the way of government, in my opinion, is a good thing. But when Israel is just chomping at the bit, begging any excuse they can have, why do you continue to give it to them, Iran? Are you that stupid? Or do you somehow honestly think, in the history of modern warfare, that you can stand up against Israel, or that you can stand up against Israel's fucking club, America? Like, it's insane. And I know they're they're going through Lebanon and providing the weapons to Lebanon, so it's really Hezbollah's doing, but Israel doesn't care. They don't need to see that. They just need to see that paper trail, and it will give them any justification they need, and, and this is just one of many. Iran has been a supporter of terrorism in Israel through Hezbollah and a a lot of other uh, um, countries, anti-Israeli countries, uh, because that's really its political position it decides to take. It's not right that they're uh, committing terrorist acts. It's really not justified either. I think politically, a lot of these issues through diplomacy could be resolved if people would get their fucking egos out of the way. But we can't do that because... They're religiously controlled nut jobs, and no religiously controlled nut job is going to say that they are ever wrong or compromise. And that's proven by the history of Palestine and Israel trying to come to some peace agreement. Israel really needs to pull its head out of its ass and realize that the security of its borders hinges on its own actions. I mean, a two-state solution isn't so crazy... When you consider you were the one that were implanted in someone else's backyard. Or front yard, as it were. Why can't you just bite the bullet? Not literally. Figuratively. Uh, And until you do, 
until you do, you're going to have asshats like Tehran in Iran doing shit like this. And all they're doing is keeping an eye on you. And all they're doing is letting you know that they're keeping an eye on you. And all you're doing is freaking the fuck out for no reason. Now, of course, no nation would be happy with another nation sending a drone in their airspace. Of course. And by all means, shoot it down. You were in your right. Hell yeah. But it's what comes after this that I'm concerned with. I mean, not overly, yet. But in the UN visit just a little bit ago here in the U.S., they, uh, Iran was sort of, you know, saying, we need to draw a hard line here and we need to attack Iran if they cross this line. And shit like this just erases that line or drops it lower. I mean, the balls of these people. Iran is like that, that beaten dog. Um, I'm sorry, Israel is like that beaten dog. You get them in a corner. And the whole time, when you're not in their face, they're shouting for everyone else to back their play and attack. But eventually, they're not going to need anyone to back their play. If they get in a corner, they're just going to bite your hand. And that means real problems, because Israel already has nuclear weapons. It's, it's a really shitty situation to find ourselves in. And Israel has done it to themselves. Iran is helping them. Hezbollah is doing the dirty work. I don't even know if they know what they're doing. <laughs> like, they're trying to say, you know, we are these world players, pay attention to us, we have power. But you're literally the middleman. No one cares about the middleman. They care about the end, the hand that is pushing you. And that's Iran and Tehran. Sorry, Hezbollah, no one cares about you. Uh, Israel and Iran are, are the two nations at stake here, and oh, it just gets worse and worse. All right, well, let's see what develops from this, shall we? <laughs> and I'll keep you up to date as I can. Let's go ahead and move into the creature feature with the interview with Hydra M. Star, and we will uh, yeah, talk a little bit about No One Makes It Out Alive. I feel it appropriate because of the season. Yeah. See you there. Oh, God. No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined once again in front of the show, Hydra M. Star. We're going to be talking about uh, the compilation she released earlier this year, No One Makes It Out Alive, an end of the world anthology. Hydra, how are you? I'm doing great, Adam. How are you? Very good. Thank you for joining me again. I'm very excited to talk to you about this. We touched on it the last time we spoke, and now it's out, and it is wonderful and if we could just sort of start with the concept, and we might have touched on some of this, uh, the last discussion we had, but it has been a while, and I assume that my listeners don't listen to every podcast I do, so <laughs> let's just, you know, for the ones who are listening now, what was the what was the genesis of No One Makes It Out Alive? Um, well, I'd, a friend of mine, Andrea Dean Van Scoy, 
had started a um, group on Facebook. She wanted to launch it as a um, full-fledged writer's group. And we had released one anthology through the group, and some people weren't exactly happy with how it had um, been published, not through Kindle, not through Nook. So I stepped forward and said, well, I'll put one together, and we'll do it about the end of the world since this is 2012. Mm -hmm. And I opened it up to pretty much everyone I knew in the writing world and also writers I knew in the Church of Satan. There's a couple of other members in the anthologies along with my work, and that was how it was born. It was just something me and Andrea talked about. <laughs> well, it's got this really great um, image on the cover. It's it's kind of iconic looking. Where where did that come from? That is my creative partner, Dave's work. I sort of tossed out a concept to him of a um, globe with the, with a skull superimposed on it, and he went to work. Well, the anthology is actually available right now. You can go to lulu.com and you can order your paperback. And there's also the ebook versions of it, correct? Yes, there's a PDF on Lulu as well as a version of it on Kindle and Nook. Nice. So in every all area. Yep, all bases covered. That's great. And so, okay, so the foreword is by Garth von Buchholz. Um, he's he's fairly well known in um, underground writing. He writes a lot of nonfiction, which the forward is, is a nonfiction piece he did about the end of the world. Very active in underground writing nice. and um, online marketing, actually. <laughs> so did you reach out to him for this? Um, yes, actually, I did. I've, I've known him a couple of years, and he was one of the people I reached out to. Very nice. So when you decided to put this together, uh, I mean, you've, you've published before. Was, were there aspects that you've learned in the past that helped you produce this, this piece? Well, this is the first thing I ever did or published solo. Um, again, I have to bring up the name Andrea Dean Van Scoy. Um, she's been like a sister to me. She's very prolific writer, has self-published, been with small press, and she knows publishing inside out and backwards and i have basically studied under her for years wow. asked her every question you can imagine and been published in her um, magazine for a few years now and she really helped me a lot in um, understanding what needed to be done formatting wise and just how to get things out there how to make contacts how to um approach people and I mean really it couldn't be done without her that's why I thanked her personally on the um, copyright page of the book because it really wouldn't have happened without her yeah and I guess I just made the assumption that you had published before because you are you have been yeah. published in a lot of different places published, yeah, yeah with your writings I mean you're, you're virtually everywhere what are some of the other uh, uh, magazines or collections that you've been contributing to well um I've been writing a column, a book review column, for the last couple of years for um, Twisted, Dream Mag Twisted Dreams magazine. Mm -hmm. I've been writing another column um, dealing with issues of sex and violence in Herotica, the online magazine. I've had an essay included, of course, in um, Lilith Awakened, which I did the interview with you previously about. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Um, I have a, another piece about how I, quote, discovered Satanism in the book Walking the Path of the Ancient Ways, which was put out by Dark Moon Press. Yes. And um, really just a lot of magazines that are no longer in print. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, more importantly, you're also now, you started your own magazine, right? Oh, yes, yes. We have... Um, Dave and I have Infernal Ink magazine. We're in our second issue as of this past October first. Wow. So. Well, let me let me read a little bit of a selection, an excerpt of your story, my grandmother's necklace, and then on the other side, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about your current projects and maybe what's coming up. Okay, sounds good. Without warning, Teddy fired the gun momentarily deafening everyone in the room and blasting a hole the size of a walnut in the center of the door. After this, there was again silence in the house for all of about ten seconds. Then the door exploded inward into the living room, splintering and flying in all directions, knocking Teddy backward onto his ass and causing everyone else to duck down behind the coffee table. The figure that stepped inside was not quite a man, but not quite an animal, either though there was a bison-like qualities to some of his features, mostly his muscular fur-covered legs, which ended in giant hoots, and the short curved horns that sat on either side of his head, otherwise human forehead and face. His hair and beard, which were both full and wild, were the color of copper, and his outer clothing made exclusively of tanned leather and fur. As his gaze moved over the four of them, they saw his eyes were amber in hue, and shone with a quality usually reserved for wolves and large cats. It was upon Teddy, who was again on his feet, that his eyes stopped. His expression was not one of warmth or humor. I, I command by the gods of the pit that you obey my desires, Teddy said with the gun aimed firmly at the middle of the intruder's chest. All the other humans in the room stared at Teddy in disbelief and wonder. It could never be said from that day forward that he lacked balls. The newcomer, who stood no less than a foot and a half taller than Teddy, smiled. It was a crooked smile to match the crook in his sharply angular nose. I have no master. His voice was deep and foreboding. But it was his movements that did most to further disquiet the room. Lunging forward, he reached out with one large hand and grabbed the barrel of Teddy's gun. Before the now unarmed man had time to react and move away, the giant swung the shotgun like a bat, striking Teddy upside the head and knocking him backward onto the stairs. It was clear as he fell that he would not be getting back up anytime soon. Switching the gun from one hand to the other, the intruder aimed it at Clive, who had grabbed Teddy's second gun from the coffee table. The next person who aims a weapon at me dies. Upon hearing this, Clive did three things in this order. He dropped the gun, fell to his knees, and began to profess his devotion to the god that stood before him. This invoked a heavy sigh from the deity. Enough of that. Lowering the gun, he stamped one heavy hoof onto the carpeted floor which shook the room. I'm not Yewa. I will not listen to your stifling as though it were music. Remove yourself from my presence until you can behave like one who is worthy of my respect. Half crawling and half running, 
Clyde left the room, returning once more to the relative safety of the basement. The god creature's gaze now fell on Danielle and John, who stood close together. John placed one arm loosely around her. Do you know who I am, Danielle? Her eyes darted to the symbol tattooed on his massive forearm as her fingers again instinctively went to her necklace. I think I have some idea. Good. He tossed the gun aside. Then we can get down to business of why I'm here without there being any more displays of force. Alright, so that was a lot of fun. Without really giving anything of the story away, even though I think we did speak directly to it last last time we did talk. Um, mm. My grandmother's necklace deals with this really amazing... Uh, and it really sort of speaks to a larger... What I like to think of just paradigm within uh, Satanism itself is, is being able to look at the um, the what ifs and uh, yeah. w- without really destroying your own sense of, of place <laughs> as a philosophy or as a religion or however you want to stop speak to it. So your story, do you want to give a little bit of a summary about it? Well, as you know, people can probably surmise from the excerpt mm-hmm. um, in the story, hell's real, demons are real. Um, the infernal gods are real, however you wanna wanna put that. And they're here. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they've showed up. The apocalypse, Armageddon has begun. And the characters have to decide how they're gonna deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> because guess what? We were wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, so you can't argue with reality, you can't argue with what you're you're seeing before you. Yeah. And it actually. How, how I mean, would Satanists deal with that? That was kind of how I went into writing it. How would different people in Satanism deal with that? And you do have a number of, of different characters in this short story which react in very different ways. Obviously, we have a lot of mythology in life to, to draw from when it comes to bringing devils or demons to life. What was it that inspired you to create this creature that confronts Danielle? Uh, in the image that he is, you know, I am. Um, I'm absolutely obsessed. Some people say with Belial. <laughs> nice. Uh, I've, I've I've been accused of this. I, I collect practically anything Belial related, and in a large part, I've kind of been playing with that character a lot in other works I'm working on, and I sort of introduced him into this as well. Um, and it's just kind of my own. I guess, take on what the ultimate heathen god would be. Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah, definitely go pick up No One Makes It Out Alive, audience, and, and read this story. It's a lot of fun. It sort of forces you to think, well, what if, you know? <laughs> what if this did happen? And then you lived your entire life uh, thinking one way, and then suddenly that whole concept was crushed, and you just had to deal with it. Uh, it's very interesting, and all of the other stories included are also um, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed um, one, which was about a nuclear explosion, and then there was um, Josephine Sevens was a really fantastic read as well. So uh, check it out, Lulu.com. Is there any other website that would be great to um, start? 
Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's also offered through Amazon on paperback. And my web, my personal website, um, hydramstar.com, has links to everything. Fantastic. All yeah. right, so check out hydramstar.com. And uh, what, what's what's in the future here? I mean, you're you're always so busy. You got so much stuff going on. Well, I mean, we're collecting um, submissions for the next issue of Infernal Inc., um, mm-hmm. which will be out in April of 2013. So we're doing that. Nice, <laughs> that's nice. an ongoing. I mean, that that's ongoing all the time. So uh, anyone that wishes to find out more information about that can go to my website again, and everything's there. We're working. Dave and I are working on a fully illustrated um, story collection featuring three stories of my own, entitled "Prior to the Empire." There's no release date on that yet. We're very much still in the uh, creating stage with Mm -hmm. that and that's going to cover it's going to be three stories that cover the time before the quote unquote fall when Satan and his family are still in heaven and still part of the royal family of heaven and how they he kind of begins to fall out of favor and comes in odds with his brother, the king. Oh wow! Well, that's that's gonna be exciting. I remember you had mentioned it briefly last time, and I'm I'm looking forward to checking that out when you release it. Um, so, I mean, putting together your own magazine from contributing to magazines for so long was no one makes our lives sort of like the testing ground to see if it's something that you would be able to do. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, you did it brilliantly. So, I mean. What is the release cycle for um, Infernal Inc.? Um, twice a year, 1st of October, 1st of April. Oh, nice. Is this something that you see going for the foreseeable future, or do you have a sort of a, a, a plan set out for it? For the foreseeable future, it'll be um, two issues a year. We may expand into three or four issues a year, mm-hmm. um, depending on interest and content. Um, I'm somewhat picky about content. <laughs> For, yeah. Um, so yeah, for the foreseeable future, it'll be two issues a year. Nice. Well, the book is "No One Makes It Out Alive: An End of the World Anthology," and my guest, Hydra M. Star. It is always a pleasure, my dear. Thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Adam. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. All right. I would like to thank Hydra M. Star for allowing me to read an excerpt of her short story in that anthology. It was a great read. And I would also like to thank Sierra 3 for allowing me to play my Nirok Fustili, I believe it's pronounced, in his album Tetranagrammaton. So you should absolutely go check out Sierra 3 if you haven't heard his stuff recently or if you haven't heard it at all. Uh, it's a lot of fun to listen to. Really, really great reading music. And then uh, go check out that book because Hydra M. Star, she's a, she's a great writer and that was a really good collection of short stories, a lot of them too. So it's it's absolutely worth the dime. And that's going to do it for another show. I was planning on doing a Bizarre the Bizarre, but as usual, eh. <laughs> I'll do it next time. Maybe. <laughs> if ever. I don't know. It's a bonus segment, so eh, who cares. Alright, so, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. 
Did you know that you can purchase official 9 cents podcast clothing and accessories through askapparel.com? Of course you do. Go pick something up for this coming holiday season. You're going to look great in a tie or a t-shirt. Or hell, get a bag. You can visit the 9centspodcast.com website and click on the link titled Apparel, or visit Asp Apparel and browse our fine selection of original and officially licensed designs. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. It's actually working now. <laughs> but we're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, and Spotify, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. And I would like to thank those of you who, since last week even, have given me a rating and written a comment. Thank you so much, my dear. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com and online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!